But University Radio Nottingham, that's a good station as well. URN, let them do a go well to finish, please. Can you stop editing the go well, please, at the end of their show? Cheers. Go well. Keep it URN. Keep it URN. URN. Hello and welcome to the only cricket podcast that liked the weather in Manchester. A really disappointing day for English cricket as Australia retained the urn as England are unable to come back from a 2-1 deficit to win back the Ashes, meaning Australia will be packing the urn in their suitcases. I'm joined by Toby. Toby, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Unfortunate match to, uh, to have to talk about, but but looking forward to it anyway. It's so disappointing with Basball and everything we've built up to. And as ever, on our Ashes coverage, England legend Monty Panasar also joins us. Monty, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. I'm uh, slightly deflated because uh, of the two days' weather. Yes, it's 30 overs on a weekend when there was so much possibility for this England team. Monty, I'm just going to delve into how do you think this Basball revolution, how do you think they're feeling right now other than just deflated? Yeah, look, I, when I watched Ben Stokes' press conference, they asked him, do you regret, you know, declaring at Edgebaston? And he obviously said no. But I think deep down inside, you can always tell by by, by the team's, um, you know, decisions that they made at Old Trafford. Like, they could have easily um, declared with the lead of 150, you know, one hour in the first session on third day. And they could have thought, right, let's bowl them out for 200, 250 with a lead of 100 and chase it down by by today because today possibly it will be the last day. So I couldn't really work out why they kept on batting even after lunch for another 11 overs. And I think they scored about 80 runs and we saw Johnny Bairstow, you know, get clicked back into his form. But it was wasting time into this test match. And the, the, the positive intent that they showed at Edgebaston, the risks that they showed with Basball, you know, the declaration, for example, um, the aggressive batting that they did in the second innings. Um, this is the kind of stuff they should have done now. You know, I think they completely misread their decision making. You know, they what they should have, the conservative approach that they've taken at Old Trafford should have been at Edgebaston. And then the, the risk taking approaches and, and, you know, the entertaining sort of decision making that they took at Edgebash and should have been at Old Trafford. So I think they completely mismatched it. And I, I don't know why they kept on batting. They knew the rain was around, you know, and they didn't still enforce a result because I think knowing that if they can win at Oval and it's two-wall, it sounds a lot better than 3-1 or 4-1 and, 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 and playing entertaining cricket because then potentially their jobs will be on the line. You know, the likes of Brendan McCullough and Ben Stokes, they'll think, guys, you've, you know, you've gone overboard with this basketball, making it into an exhibition series. You know, the fans don't want it, sponsors don't want it, and the ECB don't want it. So they probably could have both lost their jobs. And that's why they, I reckon they've gone a bit more like traditional style, showing what this is what we can do, knowing there was a rain around. But I just think they, they completely misread it. This is where basketball was, it was crying out for basketball. Plus, Mm. You know, Toby, basketball plus plus. There you go. Toby, you made a very good point after the Edgbaston test that we wouldn't see another England declaration. And as Monty said, it was crying out for a declaration. But Johnny Best obviously crawled to 99 not out. The only the second ever player in Ashes cricket to get 99 not out, uh, along with Steve Waugh. 
Was England at fault or was Marnus Labuschagne on the final day the root of uh, England's unable to get a victory, would you say? It's a tough one. I think Monty's bang on there with they went back into their own shells. Um, and I think maybe almost because Basball started off so well and they won pretty they've won pretty much every game they've they played until the beginning of this Ashes that they thought they could almost just sort of keep going with it. And they then sort of obviously went too hard in uh, Edgebaston and were a bit and sort of declared early, which I, I don't mind the declaration. I think the third innings was the big problem at Edgebaston, yeah. uh, where they just, everyone just kept playing shots and, and at Lords as well. And they didn't have the sort of mentality or the mindset to think, actually, so we'll just put the brakes on for half an hour, just see off Pat Cummins, we'll see off Stark, whoever it might be, and then attack someone else. Um, I thought Labuschagne batted very, very well. Um, it seemed all quite easy for him. Um, he started off really, really slowly and then just seemed to be able to find boundary after boundary and, and sort of tick along really nicely, sort of 60 strike rate by the end. Um, and I think the declaration really should have come. I, I disagree with Monty in the way. I don't think it was McCullum and Stokes thinking their jobs were on the line. I think it was almost them trying to backpedal about Basball. And this was the perfect test for, for Basball and for them to go out there and try and score at, what, sevens, eights and overs. I think, don't know what they scored at, at the end, Five, 600 off about 100 overs. So not a bad rate, but they definitely could have pushed on at certain certain points, I'm sure they were thinking. And declaration, yeah, would have been would have been key, I think. As Monty said, if they'd declared at, at lunch maybe with sort of 100, 150 leads, there's always an option that they somehow managed to get six, seven really quick wickets and, and are into the tail much sooner than, than they were, which they didn't even really get to in the end. Um, and that would have then allowed this ultra-aggressive batting lineup to chase. I reckon they could have gone chase 100, 150 in maybe 20 overs, which would be kind of T20 style. Um, and I'm sure that they would have backed themselves to chase it maybe even in 15. One thing that has come into a lot of criticism, Monty, is the overrates over this series. England essentially threw away an hour's worth of play and overs over their first innings. And that hour would have been so important for either team. When you're on the field in test cricket, where do those overs go? Or are the expected overs a little bit too much? And as the only test cricketer on this podcast, what is it like with the pressures of overrate? Yeah, look, I think overrate is a good rule because it keeps the intensity going. It creates that urgency on the field. Sometimes you can just plod along that fine leg and then, you know, meander your way up to, you know, mid on. But um, that's, again, it's a reflection of uh, the, the attitude with this England team at the moment. I think they have gone a bit defensive at Old Trafford where um, it's kind of been sugar-coated with ben, you know, Johnny Bairstow's innings, which, yeah, it was great. It was brilliant. It's like, wow, you know, this is what this England team, team can do. It's entertaining. But it was at the wrong time. You know, it wasn't required. And um, I agree with Toby that they probably... Um, you know, weren't going to look to declare after Edge Bastion because they weren't going to take the risk again. As much as they talk about, oh, we're going to play entertaining cricket and we're going to entertain the fans, I think they've kind of realised that, you know, if we keep doing this, we, we're going to lose like 4 0 or 3 0, and then it doesn't look good at the end of the series. But 2 1, you know, where people say, oh, we've got stopped by the weather, England, you know, bullied Australia in this test match, which they did. Um, it kind of it sounds a bit safer. It sounds like, oh, uh, England England were robbed by the weather, right? But in fact, they didn't want to take the risk of um, 
the basketball decisions that they made in the first two test matches, they haven't kept to that promise. They've, in fact, used the weather, played a longer innings, which wasn't required. There was no need to have a lead of 200 plus. There wasn't enough time. We all knew it was going to rain on Saturday and Sunday. And potentially one of the days would have gone by. And then you think in 30 overs, they're going to, when they did play on Saturday, they're going to get the wickets. No, they weren't. They, they eat, they, 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 they took too much time away out of the game themselves. So, in fact, it's England. They've got themselves to blame, to be honest, because this was, like Toby said, crying out for a perfect basketball scenario. Three-day test match. Let's finish the test match on Friday evening and let's go to over with two all. That would have been brilliant, but they didn't take that risk because they were, they were too afraid they may have lost this test match as well. From the Australian perspective, the complete antithesis of basketball is, was surely the case. It is the highest score with the lowest individual highest score in the innings. So their highest score was Marnus Labuschagne and Sean Mars with 51 runs each. However, they only matched uh, 341 runs. They just batted time. They batted an hour into the second morning after being put into bat. And their sort of resilience, whilst they, no one sort of pushed on to make a big score, it was so noticeable that Australian grit, which we always hear about, got them through uh, to the end and they retain the ashes. Obviously, world number one test team, Toby. How good would this Australian team be remembered if they win at the Oval? I I think they will obviously always be remembered as a great team. I don't think they're going to be ever as well remembered as maybe the sort of 2000 Australian side or, or the West Indies side in the 70s and 80s. Um, and I think kind of right, if they win here, obviously it'll be great for them to finally win in England. But with the quality of side they've had over the past 10 years, maybe, they definitely would have hoped to have won more than at least one Ashes, retained more than two um, against some particularly sort of weak English sides since sort of 2013. Um, so I think they'll always be disappointed, especially if they don't win at the Oval uh, or don't draw at the Oval again, which is a slightly weird weird way of about thinking about it. They All they really need to draw um to to win it whereas we're thinking maybe it's whoever wins at the oval gets to to keep the ashes um if the weather had gone on the right direction obviously i think as you mentioned there as well the the australian batters did really well grinding everything out only kawaja uh fell for single figures um in the sort of top nine batsmen including stark um which i think yet again shows that they really did stack the batting lineup in hopes of just grinding out a draw and therefore knowing they were going to retain it and you could argue that's quite clever tactically, really, knowing they didn't need to take wickets. They just needed to to bat time and, and hope the, the Manchester weather could help them out. But I think they'll always be remembered as a good side, but maybe not a great side or, or one of the best sides. Toby, if only we had someone who'd played against two of the great Australian sides. Monty, how do these rank to the te Australian teams you played against? Look, the first team I played in back in 2006, that was probably the best Australian side, 06-07. Uh, by far, long way. And I remember, like, even when I got sort of my first five wickets at Perth and, um, you know, in, in during lunch, they didn't even speak to you. They were like, just ignore you. And it, it really felt like, you know, um, this is a proper Ashes series. This is how they need to be. You know, you, you're not really friends during an Ashes series. You know, I played a lot with my cousin, Matthew Hayden, bowled to loads of them during the Nets. But they were... They, they were completely different. You know, they wouldn't they speak to you too much. They'll just ignore you. 
And, um, you know, I felt like during this Ashes series, it, it got a little bit friendly. It got friendly until the Johnny Bairstow incident. It kind of made the England team realise it was a wake-up call to think, guys, this is a Ashes series now. This is not normal cricket. This is where mentally, physically, you are exhausted by the fifth test match. And it's a special place to be in the, in the rich 141-year history of this Ashes cricket that you don't get friendly, even if you're um teammate in the same team or you've played against each other during county cricket or you've got some sort of, you know, projects that you do together off the field. During an Ashes series, that's the intensity that I felt this England team were were missing, especially in the first two test matches. They felt that um I think after that, you know, um the 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 after four and a half days when Pat Cummins played that incredible innings, that, that took a lot out of this England side. They felt that, yeah, this Australian team are much stronger than some of the other teams that they played against in similar situations. And, you know, some of the other teams that we, you know, we talked about, Ricky Ponting's side, when we won here in uh, 2009, you know, he, he didn't pick a spinner, didn't pick Nathan Hurwitz at the Oval. And when you, you want to get Australia in a corner, you want to corner them and, and you want to squeeze their sort of... Um, what is it, their, 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 their bullish kind of approach to you on the field. You want them to sort of feel quite hopeless as a team. And then when it comes to the decision-making, they sort of decide, um, should we play, shouldn't we play? Confused decision-making, not clear. That's where you want to get Australia. That's where you want to put Australia into, corner them in like that. Then you can beat them. It's when their spirit is up and when they're really strong and fiery and, they start, you know, shouting out, oh, it's 5 nil again, 4 nil again, you know. This is the same Australian team like it was before. That's when they get really sort of aggressive as a team. And they were they're willing to win a test match. They would, they would, in their eyes, they did nothing wrong at Lords. They go, that's within the laws. But they know deep down that actually we won a game where we probably could have got Johnny Bairstow out in a normal dismissal. But this is an Ashes series. And we're going to do anything to get win. And I think it was a wake-up call for this England team to realise, guys, don't get friendly with these people. Get back at them, you know. Enough of the talking. Do your performances on the field and, and really show how strong you are as a side. And they did show that, you know, at Headingley and at Old Trafford. But I, I just felt they got their, their equation wrong at Old Trafford. They could, I believe they could have won this Test match in three days, but they didn't They didn't quite have the same level of risk-taking approach like they did at, at Edgebaston. You mentioned your Ashes Fifer down in Perth. Someone else who made an Ashes Fifer at Old Trafford was Chris Wokes. How much do you think that will mean to him? Obviously, it sort of represents his whole career, doesn't it, Monty, that despite being fantastic, he's sort of been overshadowed by the events of the rest of the game. What will that Fifer mean to Chris Wokes? It'll be massive to him, you know. I was there for the first two days, you know, doing corporate work and watching them bowl. You can see Chris Wokes was getting his ball was accelerating off the pitch more than you know Stuart Broad and, and Jimmy Anderson, and you can see the nip that he's getting at the moment compared to you know the other bowlers. Um, so I look, I believe during English conditions in England, Test match they should be playing. Chris Wokes should lead that attack now. Or Jimmy Anderson should gradually get him to sort of, you know, groom that role. Um, 
Because eventually, Jimmy Anderson, you know, in the next 12, 18 months could go. He may go at the Oval. You know, he may have that final farewell where he just thinks, you know what? I want a big farewell. I want to have a big party. Uh, I want everyone to celebrate my career. Oval is probably the perfect fitting if he wants it. But then if I'm Jimmy Anderson, I'm thinking, actually, I want to be second in the most wicked taker ever. <laughs> and um, I want to go past Shane Warne. I've worked so hard to get here. I, If I was him, I'll keep going. Because you know what? A farewell party is great. But being second in the list ever, all-time list, is even more special. You know what I mean? So, you know, they may just think with James Anderson that, all right, we'll give you a 12-month contract, but we pick and choose when you play. And I think at India, he's definitely, you know, they'll need his skills. But maybe during Sri Lanka, you know, Sri Lanka West Indies next year, I think they need to get Chris Wokes. He needs to lead the attack. And uh, it will mean so much to him because he's earned it. He's taken five wickets. He's, he's the most threatening bowler at the moment. And I think it's the right time. It's the right time to to start, you know, giving Chris Rokes the, the more kind of leadership roles. He just seems like such a nice guy. And that's just something that I've always felt with Chris Wokes. He always seems so enthusiastic to play for England. And he's been so superb for England every time of asking. Toby, I'm going to have to fess up. I have slightly um, cornered you here. We have a few clips of you saying that Zach Crawley should have been dropped. And after one of the great Ashes innings, would you like to apologise, especially as he's now England's leading run scorer in this series? Would you like to... No, I, st I, still I still stand by it. I would have dropped him at the beginning of the series. And, really? And I, I, would, I would again, yeah. I think, wow. I think England would have been better off in the whole series still without Zach Crawley. He's... The one thing that actually I, I think was quite funny was when Johnny Bairstow was batting at the end to get 99 not out, I was sat there thinking, I've I've um, I've complained about Bairstow and I've complained about Crawley. And my two stats I always go back to are that Johnny Bairstow's never scored 100 after keeping wicket, which he still hasn't. And Zach Crawley's <laughs> scored, never scored 100 when someone else has scored 100, which he has now. So one of those stats was always going to fall, unfortunately. Um and I was trying to work out which would be a better stat to, to keep. Um, but I, I still think if Ben Stokes had opened the batting at the beginning of, of the Ashes, Ben Folks had the gloves and Bairstow and Brooke at five and six in whichever order, I still think England would have been had a better chance, an opportunity of, of winning and retaining or, or regaining, sorry, the, the Ashes. Um, and I think although Ben Stokes has, has been unbelievable down the order, I think he almost would have had that responsibility on him sooner because he, he wouldn't have been able to go out there and just sort of play shots the whole time. Um, and when it all really clicked for him was when he scored, uh, I think it was at Laws in that final innings, when he when he almost carried England over the line, um, was because he he realised that he was, had to do it and he had to dig in because Bairstow had gone um, and he was the last batsman and he actually played in exactly the right way, which I think if he'd opened the batting, he might have seen sooner. And I still think Craw Crawley has been great, but... I still don't think he knows how to to build big innings consistently. He gets a lot of starts and then he gets every so often a, a massive hundred. But he's still only got four hundreds in his forty test matches he's played now, probably something like sixty, seventy innings with the bat. Um, which I don't think is good enough for for who England see as the future of test cricket, I assume. Um and I, I think actually if he goes back he still hasn't scored consistent runs in the county championship which every England great basically has done. You get a couple, maybe Michael Vaughan um, or Marcus Trescothic, who come in quite early and therefore don't play that much county cricket. But Zach Crawley still 
hasn't like bossed a county championship season. He's never scored anywhere near a thousand runs. He averages twenties, maybe thirty in first class cricket, which is nowhere near good enough. And I think actually, if he goes back to county cricket at some point and learns how to to score consistent runs and take apart attacks, um, which he really should be able to do because he is such a talented batsman, that I think he would be able to become a world-class player in the coming years. But he still has to learn that skill, I think. In fairness, he is part of, well, one half of England's highest averaging opening partnership since 2012. So he's not doing all bad. And maybe I think the trust shown in Crawley is so positive to see from an England perspective because we're giving players time. And I get your point that he might need to go back to the nets and reevaluate his sort of technique and all that. But is working. Obviously, we failed to win this test match, and I don't think he could be blamed. I think Bester behind the glo- um, behind the stumps is probably a bigger issue. One thing I will say about Bester's ninety nine that lack of declaration, like we talked about, it very much felt like the England dressing room were allowing Johnny Bester to thrive at the cost of the team. They're going let Johnny be Johnny and let him score some runs. Let them have a positive media story about Johnny for once, rather than figure out what was going on with the team. And that pretty much sums up the test. Obviously, Marnus Labashain's 100-odd was a fantastic innings and showed true Australian grit. And that got Australia through till Saturday mid-afternoon, and then there was no more play. Monty, it's so disappointing that only 30 overs was played during the weekend, prime-time viewing and listening times for English cricket. The rain is obviously something we can't affect. We all know that. But do you think maybe English cricket going forward should look at maybe reserve days? And what do you make of all this sort of talk about extra time for rain and all this? Yeah, well, look, with well, such a big ash, you know, series that people don't get time to rest and recover. So I think extra days will just take more toil on on, on this team uh, and and on both sort of administration roles and also from uh, from a, just a just an organised you know perspective, you know, with Sky Sports and. You know, other other sort of like uh, you know media companies have to schedule their days. It's just difficult to you know put that in there. But for I I, I just think um, five days is enough. You know, five days they should be able to do it. Um, if, if if I think maybe that's one of the reasons why looking at the weather forecast and um, how wet obviously Old Trafford does get. It's lost probably the most Test matches. You know, with Ashes cricket, I think it's twenty four days they were saying, and Sydney comes second. Um, that's probably one of the reasons why they've maybe thought, right, let's not have a test match at Manchester and Headingley in four years' time because, uh, you know, there's other grounds around the country that invested a lot of money in the infrastructure and they deserve to at least host, you know, uh, Ashes cricket as well. Um, but, um, you know, for me, I, I, I do believe that we have to, for cricket to evolve, we have to change our thinking. There's a lot of people said, oh, there's no cricket up north, but there's been cricket up north for the last 141 years of actually cricket. It's only <laughs> it's only just now they're going to change it a little bit. The likes of at Southampton, at Hampshire, they've got a test match. And and they deserve it because they've spent so much money, you know, um, in, in the infrastructure. They need the game to grow in that area as well. So, um, you know, and, and, and going back to, obviously, when, when uh, Toby was talking about Zach Crawley, I think it'll be difficult for him to learn how to um, churn out runs at county cricket um, because Ben Stokes knows that he, for his team to succeed in basketball, they need to produce very flat wickets at test match level. And to play with this aggression, you need to have that gap between bat and pad. 
so you can you know really free up your arms and on a flat deck you can do that and Zach Crawley he does that on a flat pitch he still has that gap between bat and pad and he will still whack it everywhere because the ball doesn't do much I think it'll be difficult for him I think for for him to churn out runs like the greats of English cricket have done in the past um, I just I think his technique isn't suited to that isn't suited to the moving ball but it's suited to very flat pitches. And I think that's why Ben Stokes has said, I just want black whippets so all the batters can go out there and just entertain the crowds. And on those flat wickets, Jimmy Anson seems to be bowling himself into oblivion. And, well, we had a brief chat about it, but I think it's probably a bigger topic. Maybe the Oval might be Jimmy Anson's last ever Test match. Now, Toby, you're going to the Oval. Is your excitement level still pretty high for it? It is. I think it's still a key key test as, as to whether the Aussies retain the Ashes or, or win the Ashes, basically. I think, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, for them to be sort of even talked about in the top tier, they have to win at the Oval or, or at least not lose at the Oval. Um, and I'm excited. I've got day one and day five tickets, uh, which could have been prime, prime time. Who knows what was going to happen? Ultimate sort of Ashes finale. However, it doesn't seem to be that going to be the case. Uh, but it should still be a good test match. I'm actually interested to see a lot about the selection as well, whether Jimmy plays. I really want to see Josh Tongue back in. I think he was unbelievable at Lords, And I think he deserves another go. I don't know where they bring him in. Maybe they rest Stuart Broad. Um, I guess see how he's been, been sort of feeling, but he's bowled unbelievably this series. Uh, or Mark Wood, if he's a bit um, bit injury prone, so he, he might need a rest as well. Um, but otherwise, I think they'll probably keep a pretty similar attack um and the Aussies as well whether they bring a spinner back in with Todd Murphy or keep this very sort of batting heavy lineup knowing that that that'll allow them to maybe salvage a draw as England did in 2009 I think with Paul Collingwood getting getting called up I'm oh, sorry 2005 sorry 2005 yeah it just is I don't know there's something so bittersweet about the final test of the summer being in August and it felt Monty that we were on the crest of a wave for cricket becoming so popular in this country. How big of a moment do you think this could have been for English cricket? Yeah, this could have been that similar moment back in 2005, you know, at the Oval or 2013 when, you know, Graham Swan famously uh, got Mike Husky out, you know, Northampton connection that was during an Ashes, uh, you know, uh, time. So, sorry, that was back in 2009, actually. I got my dates wrong there. I was there uh, when, when he got him out. Um, and then they won the Ashes. But it, it doesn't have that similar feel now. You, you know that Australia have retained the Ashes. And, um, you know, I agree with, you know, Toby that they may just rest uh, Stuart Broad. You know, they may just think, actually, you know what? Um, rest Stuart Broad. He's played a lot of cricket. Bring Josh Tun back. He's, he's exciting. Um, and uh, Mark Wood as well. Uh, I think Jimmy Anderson has will, probably will have to play. Um, but uh, if 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 it, I'll be surprised if Jimmy Anderson does announce his retirement. And it could be the fact that Stuart Broad may look to announce his retirement. Do you know what I mean? Because he's obviously wants to go on a high. He likes the theatre. He likes the the big party, the big occasion more less so Jimmy. That Rob Key may just think may have an, a conversation with both of them. And say, all right, do do any of want to retire at the Oval? And you know, don't be surprised; it could be true abroad. You may just think, you know what? Yeah, I want to go on a high. You know, I, I'm a leading Ashes wicket taker now. I've gone past Ian Botham, 
there's not much to achieve. You know, breaking uh, Jimmy Anderson's record is going to be tough for me. Maybe just the right time now. You know, big occasion, and 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 I bow, bow out um, because I don't think you'll fancy going to India on five Test matches. I think Jimmy will. I think Jimmy wants to break Shane Warne's record, and I think you know while you're there, you might as well come this far. Um, so you never know. It could be some surprising announcements. You never know. Mo Ali could be another one. May not fancy bowling 20, 30 overs per innings. That is not per match, per innings in India. 50 overs per match. That probably be five test matches. You may just think, you know what? I'm happy. You know, I'm, I'm, I've had a bit of a taste of basketball and, you know, I may just announce my retirement and I will do it at the big occasion. You know, someone in the England team has got an opportunity to get a really good farewell and it could happen at the, at the oval. It is worth saying as well, Mon, uh, Monty raised the point about Mo and Ali. Fantastic performance this series. In the last um, test, that 51 was so exciting. And I've been a big critic of uh, Mo and Ali's batting, but fair play, absolutely smashed it. And hopefully, maybe that is his last test match or whether it be at the oval, he deserves a massive send-off because he's been an absolute amazing servant to English cricket. And that wraps it up. It, it feels so bittersweet that we're at this point and it's not going to be an Ashes win and... And as well for the women, it's also might be a tied series uh, for the men as well. It's so disappointing, but here we are. Monty, thank you so much for your time. We always really appreciate your insight and fascinating takes. I am I think Broad might retire now. You've convinced me now that he's got a, a new child and obviously he's got the tap and runs just come back in uh, his pub just outside Nottingham. I think you could be right. I might put a fiver on that. Toby, I hope you're well. I hope you enjoy both days of the Oval and enjoy your graduation tomorrow. Thank you again. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe. And we end every podcast with me saying go well. And Toby says. Cheers. <laughs>